welcome to episode 17 of the RSA Resident and Student Podcast Series, a production of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. RSA is an accessible, collaborative organization that fosters innovation, education, and advocacy for residents and students in emergency medicine. In this episode, Dr. Shanna Ross, Education Chief at the University of Illinois and a previous RSA board member, speaks with Dr. Lois Swisher, nocturnist at Mercy Hospital of Philadelphia and an active member of the AAEM Wellness Committee. Today, Drs. Ross and Swisher discuss physician suicide and why it's an important topic in emergency medicine. Hello, everyone. My name is Shanna Ross. I'm one of the education chiefs at the University of Illinois in Chicago, and I'm also one of the resident mentors for the Wellness Think Tank. Today, we're here with Lois Swisher, MD, FAEM, who is a nocturnist at Mercy Philadelphia Hospital, but also has an academic appointment at Drexel EM program. Lois, it's really nice having you today. It's great to be here. So, Lois, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us a little bit about your background. Okay. I was a resident at MCP and graduated in 92, and I thought I was going to be very academic. And then life happened. I had a one-pound, two-ounce baby. And then when she was five, she developed a malignant brain tumor, and life happened. Everything changed. And I went to the community, working nights, and that has been the focus of my life up until a few years ago when I got back into academics. So that sounds like it was actually very difficult and kind of derailed your plans. I know now that you're here with us that physician suicide has really become your niche and what you really care about. And obviously physician wellness, since you're on the wellness committee here for AAEM, can you tell me a little bit about how that happened and how you became so passionate about physician wellness and physician suicide? Yes. Last year in January, a letter came out to the Cord Collective Listserv from Chris Doty. He's the program director from University of Kentucky. And in January, they lost a second-year resident. He killed himself. And the letter that went out talked about this resident being distraught over a sick family member. And that touched me greatly because when my daughter was sick, she had a lot of problems. She had come out of surgery blind, mute, paralyzed, incontinent. But she could hear and think like a normal five-year-old. And I was devastated by this. As a physician, how could you not know that something that was the size of an orange was growing in your child's brain? And the story of Chris's resident resonated with me because I had kept that quiet for 16 years. And I thought maybe if I had shared my story and we had been more open, that perhaps Chris and his resident wouldn't have gone through the devastation of that whole experience. Thank you for sharing that. That's really powerful. And I think that's a big part of the wellness is that normalizing the talk. And obviously, all suicide is really important, but physician suicide is really important. Can you tell me a little bit about the prevalence of physician suicide at this time? We don't have good numbers. When you look in the literature, they estimate 300 to 400 physicians per year, but it's probably higher than that because when you look at the death certificates, things that are accidents, overdoses, that number may be significantly higher. It's only been recently that the ACGME has started having data collecting the actual cause of death on residents, and we haven't had that long enough to know what those numbers are. I think that the people that kill themselves are very important, but it's actually just the tip of the iceberg. 
And what we have to also look at is all that below the surface, which is a huge number. If you look at the 2012 data, about 31,000 people in the United States killed themselves. About 8.7 million people have serious suicide ideation. And I think it's not only those people that have died, but all these other people that also need help. So it's a bigger pool than you might think. Those are staggering numbers. That's a very large medical school class if you know, we're reflecting that completely. How have you been able to get involved and make an impact on physician wellness and physician suicide? It's been really interesting. Because in 2014, two interns went off buildings in New York City, it has really come to the forefront. And then with Chris Doty's letter last year in January, it really brought it into emergency medicine. And in some ways, it is the thing being talked about. It had been so quiet for so long that, particularly for residents, the ACGME has had a real focus on wellness and has some new requirements that have just come out to focus on making sure the residents have the resources to be seen and be taken care of. For me personally, because of the focus, there's been a lot of opportunities. In AAM, there's been a wellness committee that has come up in the last six months, and the RSA also has a wellness committee. CORD has a resilience committee that has started to have a variety of issues that they look at, and one of those that we're developing is a physician suicide prevention toolkit. So people will have more ideas of the resources out there generally and also specifically within emergency medicine, people who have had experience and that they can talk to to get some ideas of what they should do for their situation. Why is it that you think that is just now that it's coming to the forefront of medicine and that it's becoming an issue? I mean, I don't want to say that physicians now are committing rates higher than they were maybe 10 or 20 years ago, but why is it right now such an important topic? It's an interesting question because actually if you go back a lot longer, there are people that have published saying over a century and a half the percentage of physicians that kill themselves have been above the general population for a long time. I mean, it's be longer than electronic medical records. It's longer than quality metrics. It's longer than these patient-per-hour stuff that we think of. And so there is something, in my opinion, about being a physician, and we don't know what that is, whether that is witnessing other people's suffering or holding ourselves to a high standard and when difficult things happen to other people, whether it's just that it happens or something that you do that causes suffering, it may build up even a lot longer. Just from being a physician has changed your risk. Why now? I think that some of it has to do with the media and getting the information out. Maybe some of it is with Twitter podcasts, the information is going much faster. And also, it isn't as filtered. So people are getting that information without having to have approval for it to go out into the Twitter sphere. That makes a lot of sense. Now, you talked about the wellness committees on AAM and how CORD is building the resilience committee and things like that. But where do you see the movement to promote wellness, to promote resilience and to help reduce burnout? And eventually, I mean, the ultimate goal is to prevent suicide. Well, that's going to be multifactorial. I see it as a pyramid. You need to have your leaders really want to address this. 
that want to break the myths. They want to uncover this and shine a spotlight on suicide, also burnout, all these things that are really kept quiet to say this is important for us to talk about. And once it's made important, those people that feel that's important and want to be champions will feel more empowered. They're going to be the actual leaders that tell the stories and sort of change the culture. Then there's going to be the general population of program directors, chairs, that that information will filter down to, and then will provide that resource to each individual physician. I think we have to change the culture and bring it down, be more transparent of what will happen if you say that you're depressed or that you're suicidal, that what's going to happen with your license, what is going to happen with your job, will you lose your insurance? If you make it more transparent about what is going to happen after you say that, I think you'll have more people feel comfortable. And if you have more role models that say, I was depressed, I took antidepressants, I went to counseling, I thought about killing myself, you'll say, maybe I can talk about this too. Now, you mentioned that you guys are building a physician hotline to help physicians out there with suicide. Are there any other interventions or things that you would recommend for people to do out there in the community or in the academic worlds to help others with suicide or to help prevent this and help build resiliency? Mm, long question. I want to go back. We were talking about toolbox rather than a hotline. There are hotlines available nationally that are general for the population, and I find them to be actually very good. Some people think that, oh, we're so different. We're so different as physicians, and the person on the other end of the line will not understand. And on the national crisis line, when you look at the crisis workers that take those calls, they're like us. They never know who's going to call, how many calls they're going to have, what the problems are going to be, and they have to figure it out. So I think that the people that you're talking to really understand what it's like to work in an emergency. May not be the physical emergencies that we see all the time, but working in the mental health crisis emergencies, it's pretty similar. You asked me some other questions. Just other interventions that you would imagine that are out there for us to have? A lot of this is going to have to be built. There are interventions that can be done. One of the things is anonymous screening. And online anonymous screening is one of the ways. UCSD has a program where their students, residents, even faculty can get on and they can do their own screening and communicate anonymously online by email. There's a choice to make phone calls and you can do even more interventions. So I think that being able to look and see where you are, physicians sort of like to know what's going on with them before they go in, and that might give them more tools. There's another thing we can think about is something called gatekeeper training, and there's a variety of programs. These are programs that it teaches you how to ask somebody, what are the red flags to look for, and what are the resources to ask about to help people regarding suicide. And there are various courses, just like CPR, there can be a general 45-minute course. And then there can be a more advanced course that is six to 10 hours that helps you be the one in the ER. You have a colleague working and just like if there's a heart attack, it's not going to be the cardiologist that's going to be there that saves you. It's going to have to be the people that know how to use an AED that are going to be there that make the difference. I think we have to do the same thing for suicide 
is that when people are having struggles, they're in their crisis, that those around them know how to ask. I really wish that I had gotten training in this in medical school, to be quite honest. I mean, I didn't even know programs like that existed out there. There is training. But quite honestly, it's not as hard as you think it would be. Some of it's the confidence of asking. There is a guy that lived in Australia. His name was Don Ritchie. He's since passed away, but he lived at a place that was a known suicide destination. There's places that people that think about suicide go to. The Golden Gate Bridge is one of them. In Australia, there's a place called The Gap, and people would go there to jump off the cliffs as their last thing in life. And he lived across from that location. And he would get up in the morning, would look out throughout the day, out the bay window, and look across the street. And if he saw something funny, he would go over and say, can I help you? Is there anything I can do for you? And he would try to get them away from the edge and say, why don't you come back? Why don't you talk with me? My wife can make some, some tea. He never had any mental health training. And some estimates are in the three to 400 people that he saved over, I think, about 35 years from taking their life just because he was paying attention and was willing to go over and ask. It's that human connection. And any of us can do that. It just seems that it's so overwhelming to think about suicide and am I going to do it right? Really, all you have to do is ask and listen. Those are great words. Now, do you have any last parting words of wellness wisdom that you can impart on to the residents and the students that are listening to this podcast today that are about to start their careers or in beginning stages of their careers in emergency medicine? Residency is temporary. You get through that. And then you have a lot more options of what you want to do. And in that, I think you need to find your passion. What really makes you feel that life is worth living and keep a hold of that whether that is playing your guitar or traveling or cooking. I think having something that you really enjoy is important. And it can even be in work. You work your shifts, but if you have a particular interest in toxicology or podcasting, you can do that and that sort of fills your gas tank. And so I think having that passion is important. I also think relationships are key. Even if it's just one person, if there's one person that you can talk to, that can make all the difference. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Swisher, for taking your time to help educate our residents and students on this important issue. What we like to say in the Wellness Think Tank is we want to help our students and our residents thrive, not just survive residency. So we really appreciate you taking your time to speak with us today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. For more information about RSA, please visit our website, www.aaemrsa.org. Listen to all podcasts in this series and explore the ways you can get involved with RSA. Join us again next episode for another topic of importance for emergency medicine residents and students. Thank you.